Uganda is a paradise filled with lots of creatures, but that's just one thing that our podcast features. Thank you for tuning in to Hannah and Eric Go Birding, a podcast by birders for birders. He's Eric, and I'm Hannah. And we created this podcast to share adventures, sometimes misadventures, and opinions that we have on different birding topics. We're definitely not experts, and anything that we discuss that might be controversial, we want you to remember their own opinions, and they might be different from yours. So, a lot of sad news yes. to share with you all. We'll just jump right into that because, yeah, uh, yeah we have a lot to we have a lot to cover with <laughs> we have you all today. A lot today. to cover, yeah. So, um, the a couple days ago, there was I think three bird re- birder related deaths mm-hmm. in a single day, which was just very tragic, devastating. With the loss of E.O. Wilson. Uh, Jerry Lagori and Kurt Ron each had their own contributions to the birding community. Um, you know, authors, birders, and just general, you know, good people to to hang out with. So yeah. we're saddened to hear about their deaths, and we know that's going to leave a big hole in the birding community. So we're our thoughts are you know with their families and with those that they um, they touched in their lives. Yeah. Um, another. Uh... Tragic bit of news, not uh, birder related, but bird related, um, is there was uh, a mass kill off or mass die off of uh, a whole bunch of cranes, uh, 5,000 common cranes about in the Hula Valley from in- avian influenza, which I feel like I saw something a couple weeks ago about it. And then I just saw something just the other day that was like a news story about it. So I don't know if this is multiple die-offs that have happened, multiple infections that have taken place, but uh, a huge a huge situation going on over there in the Hula Valley. And that's in Israel. Yeah, yeah um, Israel. Where we hope to go in April for the um, the Champions of the Flyway. But yeah, it's just super tragic. We, we saw thousands of common cranes when we were in Sweden mm-hmm. a couple years ago, and it's it's just awe-inspiring sight to see them and hear them um, in the fields. And so that's just... That's a horrible loss. So we're hoping that um, that doesn't continue. Yeah, for sure. Um, so switching gears to less less upsetting news. Um, we've got uh, eBird is going to be resetting. On January 1st. January 1st. So, so we'll stay up with uh, some glasses of champagne waiting for it to happen. <laughs> yeah, set, set, set your clocks and uh, get your year list set back to zero. Um, speaking of year list back to zero... Uh, Tiffany Kirsten has a pretty significant year list. Yeah, um, and one you, one could even call it a big year <laughs> of, of sorts. <laughs> and you re- might remember she um, gave away a she's birdie device yeah. on our podcast with the bird nerd giveaway a couple months ago. Um, and her goal was to be the youngest woman to see the most species in the lower forty-eight mm-hmm. in a year. I think seven hundred was her objective initially. And just recently, she was at seven twenty-six. Yes, with she's a blowing lapwing. that out of the water. Yeah, yeah, and she's you know it's a couple more days until the end of the year, and I know she's going to be out there looking for some more birds. Yeah, so. I think she's two over the previous. Uh, um, lower 48 big year record and she's she, yeah tomorrow or the day this comes out she's going to be on a pelagic right I think so yeah. yeah so she's she's getting it done she's gonna she's gonna extremely blow it out of the water so congrats <laughs> Tiffany that's, that's an amazing accomplishment yeah it's spectacular um, and I think our last piece of news we just saw on Facebook this morning is that Birdwatchers Digest um, announced that they will be closing Yes, yeah, so I, I, as far as I could tell, this includes everything Birdwatchers Digest related. So um, their online 
their online stuff, their physical magazine, the Red Star Birding. I imagine their podcast. I imagine the podcast. They have a couple. Um, podcasts? Yeah. Okay. Um, and so basically everything related to Birdwatcher's Digest. As far as, like, that's what the announcement uh, made it appear as if. Um, Birdwatcher's Digest and related things, I think is what it said. Mm. So... So that was that. Yeah, so uh, a lot of changes in the birding community and then yeah. that'll probably happen in the next year. So Yeah. But something that's not changing is that we're right in the middle of C B C season. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that's What's... that's a that's a stable. That's been going on for over hundred years now. I, I think hundred and twenty two yeah. years. So we're like that. uh that one's staying steady. It's it's it comes and goes like clockwork every every half December to half January, right? Yeah, so <laughs> well beginning of January. Beginning of January. Ends on the fourth. Um, so if you are somewhere in the Americas, make sure to check, uh, the Audubon, National Audubon Society mm-hmm. site to find your local Christmas bird count area and participate if you can. Yeah. So that's, I think the news that we have for you yes. all today. New, news of the world. Yes. Very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so any new reviews? No, 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 no reviews this, this cycle. Okay. Maybe next cycle. If you guys want to leave us a review, we will read them on air. We've, uh. I think we've read every single review so far that we've had. So um, if you if you want to have your uh, words immortalized in a podcast uh, reading of a review, um, go ahead and leave us one all over <laughs> Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, any, anywhere that we, we search them all, anywhere you leave reviews. Yeah, and that helps other people find us. Yeah. Um, so please, if you want to share the love of burden with others, leave us a review so that can uh, get our... SEO up a little bit. Sure. That's, if that's how it works. <laughs> that probably know. doesn't make any sense. <laughs> um, so, Hannah. Yes. You interviewed somebody recently and had your own podcast all about it. I did, yeah. yeah what, what'd you do? Yeah, so um, recently when we were in Uganda, we and we'll talk about it in a little bit, but we stayed at this fantastic lodge called Ride for a Woman. And I interviewed the founder and operator, mm-hmm. Evelyn, about her lodge and about the community that it supports because it does so many cool things other than just provide a great place to stay. It supports women in their community and also the community at large. I mean, she, she is the place to go get water and she filters water for people in surrounding villages. Um, so they have fresh, clean water to use. So make sure to listen to that episode. Uh, you know, just go on any podcast service and look for Women Birders Happy Hour. And the episode is called Ride for a Woman, uh, Village Weaver, because Village Weaver is the drink of that episode. Um, Eric helped me concoct it, and it's made with a particular gin that they have in Uganda, which is made in Uganda. Out of bananas. Out of bananas, and uh, it's delicious. And if you don't have Waraji, to use to make that cocktail, you can just use regular old gin. Yeah, but it's it really is only a village weaver if it's made from waraji. <laughs> hey, j- j- just like how champagne is only champagne from the Champagne region of France, otherwise it's just sparkling wine. Oh this my is, gosh! This is this is village weaver has to be with waraji. Wow. I don't know if you can get waraji out of Uganda. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess you just have to go to Uganda and get a village weaver. Okay, so uh, we're going on a couple trips yes. that we are super psyched for. Um, one is later in January, we'll be heading to South Africa, um, two Africa trips in just a couple months. Um, we're really getting our miles in, but we are just so excited about this trip with BirdLife International mm-hmm. South Africa and to go see all about the Mouse Free Marion Islands. So yes, I have been looking forward to this for like a year and a half. Yeah. So we'll, we'll have seven days on land, seven days on the boat. 
and it's going to be an awesome trip. Um, expect to hear a couple episodes, I would imagine, um, about what South Africa has to offer, um, similar to how we're letting everyone know what Uganda has to offer. Um, we'll talk about South Africa then, um, but... And then, but we're, yeah. and then we're headed to the San Diego oh, yes. Bird Festival, uh, which I believe is February 16th through the 20th. I think there's still some spots available for our bike tours. So if you plan yeah. on coming, sign up for one of our bike tours. It's a lot of fun. It's a blast. We ride around Lake Mi- or Mission Lake Bay. Mission, <laughs> Lake Mission, I, Mission Bay. Um, and we, we go re- around the whole the whole bay, and it's it's awesome. We get lots of great views, lots of great views of birds, lots of just scenic views of the of the bay. And, and it's a good ride. It's I mean, a good, easy ride. It's I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. yeah, so um, make sure to join us there. And if you can't make either of those trips, make sure to follow along on our socials and listen to our upcoming episodes. Yeah. So, uh, bird nerd giveaway. (laughs) This was kind of an extended one um, because we have three episodes that come out in December. So, you you actually essentially had an extra week and a half or so to to enter into this, which which showed we had quite a few more uh, submissions this time than we did uh, in the the previous episode. giveaways yeah so So, anyways um this time mm -hmm. what we asked you to do was tell us your favorite birding festival or one that you would like to go to and the winner was randomly selected to win a bag of mesquite flour that we purchased from quinta mazalon while we were at rio grande valley birding festival to memorialize our uh crimson colored gross beak lifer that we got at quinta mazalon (laughs) yeah a long long backstory to some mesquite flour that's delicious and works great in cookies and everything yeah so are you ready for to hear who the winner is hannah drum roll yeah we we would hit the table but it would be really annoying on the microphone um so the winner is uh jared hamby Woohoo! jared hamby this is a long long time listener and we've uh yeah, yeah, and frequent commenter. And frequent commenter, but we he, he has it, yet to win anything. So this is <laughs> this is out to him. At, chosen randomly out of all of the people who entered, uh, Jared Hamby wins this uh, bag of mesquite flour that uh, with his entry with of his entry of the San Diego Bird yeah. Festival, which we'll see you there, Jared. So super excited. Um, we'll send off your mesquite flour as soon as we can. So uh, make sure to check out our next episode in January where we announce our next bird nerd giveaway. Yeah, which is going to be pretty awesome. We'll see. <laughs> so our main story. So let's, getting into it. Let's get let's get into it. Um, if you skipped it, if you lo- went into the show notes and you looked at the time timestamp, this is where where it'll get you to right here at the Welcome main back, story. Skippers. Welcome back. Um, anyways, so we left our heroes uh, where we met everyone to start the fam tour. Yes. Um, so if you listen, if you didn't listen to our last episode, we described a little bit about what our fam tour was. And so what what a fam tour is and then our trip to get to the beginning of our tour. So just a, a little bit more preface to it. So we had 11 participants. Yes. Um, Eric and myself were two of the participants. Mm-hmm. And then we were also joined with Ted Floyd, who is the editor of the ABA magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in addition to, to many other things, all these people have many other yep. uh, titles and things that go along with them. Oh, yeah. These are just brief introductions to them. No, everyone is just one thing. Oh, that's, the, that's the thing about people. They're only ever one thing. Shoot, what am I? <laughs> um, so we also had Doug Gotchfeld, who is a leader with Field Guides and a frequent outbirding contributor. Uh, Dominic Cousins, who is a two-time award-winning author from the UK with 41 titles out. It's impressive. Uh, Catherine Hamilton, who's an artist, a tour leader with Wildside, and a the Zeiss U.S. ambassador 
for the German arm, right? I, I think so. It was, it was complicated. She, she's ambassador for Zeiss, but I think it's, yeah, the U.S. <laughs> ambassador for Germany. Whatever. <laughs> for Zeiss. Uh, George Armistad, who's the owner and operator of Hillstar Nature Tours, lifeless podcast podcaster, uh, <laughs> author of Better Birding, and ABA field guide to uh, Pennsylvania. And an awesome uh, imitator of... Um, oh, Ken, uh, Ken, Vic, 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 Vic Romano. Okay. Yeah, so, <laughs> so if any of you have watched MXC, Most Extreme Elimination Challenge, I realized halfway through the episode, or uh, the episode, the episode. halfway through the trip that George sounds just like... Um, Vic Romano from that show, who's one of the announcers from it, and he would say things all the time, like, great going, Doug, because they had a banter going on, and it sounded just like in MXC, where he'd say, good job, Kenny, or something like it, that. It was, it was a hoot hanging out with, with all of these people, um, but there's still more. Yeah. Not, not, we're, we're not ending at George. There was that, more people there. That's I, the backstory with that. Yeah, I, just, I, I thought George's voice is awesome. So. so basically, I had to laugh every time he said something. Probably doesn't think he, <laughs> he probably, probably doesn't appreciate it at all. <laughs> he probably doesn't think I take it very seriously, and I don't take anything very seriously. Um, Peter and Don Burke, who were our Canadians, um, they are field ecologist and field guide illustrator and tour leader. And then Molly Brown, who's the owner of Nighthawk Advertising Agency and the Birding Co op president. And then Jimmy, um, who is a content creator and joined us. And then us schmucks. Us, us schmucks. <laughs> so. And then, um, unfortunately, um, a bit of sad news. Yoav Perlman was supposed to have joined us. And uh, Israel closed their borders due to uh, the spread of uh, COVID in South Africa. And it was kind of working its way up through Africa. So COVID. Um, COVID. So Israel preemptively closed his borders to everywhere in Africa. Like the um, day that he was supposed to get the on the The day plane. he was in the airport. So um, we missed out on uh, getting to meet Yoav, but maybe we'll meet him in Israel when, uh, hopefully, if That's if, the plan. if their borders are open to us when we when we get to April, we'll, we'll go meet Yoav then. And then we also had our Uganda team. Yes, our Uganda team. So we've got uh, Herbert Birahenga. He's, uh, if you know of Uganda, you probably know Herbert. He is birding in... In Uganda. He owns uh, Bird Uganda Safaris. Bird, Bird Uganda Safaris. He is huge in the birding community there. But also, he, I think he's just huge in the community there. We kind of figured that half of the 45 million people who live there know him. Yes. Because everywhere we went, people knew him. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Every, every time we got to a gate, they were like, oh, Herbert. So it was, <laughs> every, everyone knows Herbert. Um, we also had uh, Mark uh, Barkunda, um, his uh, son. We've got Alex, our driver. Um, I would like to refer to him as our uh, engineer, like a train engineer. You can fix everything on the train that you're doing. Um, he, in this case, he was, it was a bus. He was the bus engineer. Like we would, it didn't matter if we, whatever, whatever broke on the bus, cause the roads are a little rough. Um, he was able to fix it within minutes and get us back on the road and rolling again. So very, very little downtime. And Alex was spectacular at driving and fixing the bus. Yeah. <laughs> So that was our Uganda team. So that's the team. Um, so we left uh, Entebbe and headed towards Mabamba to see the shoebill, which was the very first stop on the trip. Um, One of the most sought after birds in Uganda. So we wanted to make sure we got it first. So uh, we got out to, I mean, it was like a two hour drive, I think, from Entebbe to Something get out like there. That, yeah. um, we get off the main highway and it kind of winds us through like a village. Um, you a know, couple villages. Dirt roads going through. I feel like everybody was walking to, it might have been sunday because i think everybody was headed to church 
I think you're right, yeah. And I felt bad about why aren't we going to church? <laughs> Everybody was dressed so nicely um, walking that way. Um, so we get out, you know, after a couple hours of bumpy roads to just kind of a, I mean, it didn't look like much. It looked like a like py- papyrus swamp. Yeah, it, it, was, it was just a papyrus swamp that the road literally just teed right into the water. Yeah. And there was a handful of uh, dugout canoes um, with the little motors on them that were just like there. And so we just like stopped and got out. There was tons of people. There's people that were using that they use this uh, little docking area as uh, a ferry system, mm-hmm. I guess, because they were like loading their motor- motorbikes onto them so that they could go take them to the other side of the swamp, I guess. Um, but uh, I think I think this is probably a good time to mention about the roads. Um, okay. The roads on, on our way in. So this is true for the roads all through Uganda. Um, as far as I could tell, there were there are three paved roads with tarmac mm-hmm. in Uganda, and all three of them leave Kampala, the capital. Um, basically, three highways, and that's it. There's there's no other pavement anywhere else. Um, if there is pavement, it's is really sporadic. Um, very, very rough roads. So, um, like I said, with Alex fixing our bus, rough roads leads to a lot of vibration and things shake loose. Um, battery terminals, just things just shake, shake loose. And so you have to fix it, which Alex is great at, but the roads it's, uh, I think he referred to it affectionately as an African massage. A Ugandan massage. A Ugandan massage. massage. Yeah. Um, just cause of the, <laughs> as you're driving down the road. So definitely be ready for that. Um, but it's, it's just slow going every, everywhere yeah. just because the roads are so uh, so unimproved. Um, though China is investing billions of dollars in improvements because um, I guess they may have found oil or something. Yeah, I'm not and sure so, why. So China's interested in investing in, in the roads in Uganda. So there's a bunch of places that they've made some significant improvements in the last couple of years, which I expect to continue over the next couple of decades. Well, and that'll make it, you know, better for going out and visiting oh, yeah. some of these parks. We went to, which we'll talk about in our next episode, Murchison Falls uh, National mm-hmm. Park. And there's a brand new road going through there that makes it so much um, easier to yeah. access. And the road's and, not even done yet. And they've, they've just, they've just cleared it and graded it. And it's smooth. Like you, you could, you could drive at like a regular road speed. So it's, and it's, doesn't shake you right out of the window yeah. <laughs> when you're going. So anyways, we get to, um, yes. the dugout canoes and this was also our first experience with a, um, squat toilet. Oh yeah. Yeah. So they did have, uh, like an outhouse. We're going to talk all about the infrastructure right yeah. at the top end here. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> but I had a lot of questions about bathrooms, so I want to make sure that I, I mention it. So we get to, um, the, the, uh, you know, place where we're going to take off. The Mabamba Swamp. And, um... Then they had, yeah, outhouses for us to use because, you know, we need to go to the bathroom before we get on a boat for a little while. And uh, I get there and I was kind of surprised to see a squat toilet because I hadn't experienced one for a while. So there's that. So please make sure if you visit Uganda, you know, you should bring a roll of toilet paper just Mm -hmm. in case there isn't any. And then just be prepared to use squat toilets, which if you Google it, there's a lot of information about how to use them properly. Yes. And they're, they're not, they're not that difficult to use. They're just uh, shocking for uh, people from the Western world traveling. If, if, if you've never seen them before, they're, they're different. Yeah. They're, I, the most fir- of them are actually just a hole in the ground that you just squat over and do your, do your business. Yeah. So the first time I ever used one was in, uh, well, the first and only time I had ever used one was in Istanbul. Mm-hmm. And I had to pay to use that one, which I don't like paying. I guess I 
I guess I get pain to use the bathrooms, yeah. but it was just kind of like one of my first experiences paying to use the bathroom. <laughs> I mean, in downtown Portland here in Oregon, you have to yeah. you have to pay to use them in the downtown area. I know. I just, yeah, I forget that you have to do that sometimes. <laughs> um, but anyways, so that was my first experience ever having used one. And then in Uganda, I got better at it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's a, it's a different type of skill to use them, but, uh. But it's from, from when you read about them online, some people are 100%, this is the only way to use, use the bathroom. It puts your body in a good position to evacuate it. Uh, <laughs> don't it, turn off the podcast. We'll talk about it, birds. No, we'll, we'll move on to birds in just, just a second. But they're, they're more hygienic because you don't actually touch anything. Um, so it's, um, so I'll, I'll, some people swear by them and they're, they're the most amazing thing. And I think based on places in the world where these are popular, mm-hmm. um, more people in the world use squat toilets than sitting toilets. I think I looked up a statistic and it was like, it was like 50, 50 now that sitting toilets are becoming more popular. Yeah. Cause it's, it's like a lot, a lot of places in Asia, a lot of places in Africa, a lot sure. of places in the middle East, they all use squat toilets and that's where the largest population centers in the world are at. So, yeah. I mean, like, it's like Hannah said, she looked it up 50, 50, but I, I, I can still see it being a very close, if not more, towards squat toilets. Anyways, so Anyways. after that, um, <laughs> while we were standing there, you know, all going to the bathroom, um, someone had a cordon bleu. Yes, that we Which missed. was, yeah, we missed it. <laughs> but I was super excited. I really wanted to see one. So the rest of the trip was like, hey, Mark, give me a cordon bleu. <laughs> yeah, every single time we got to some place that was relatively close to that type of habitat, edge of papyrus swamp sort of thing. Mm-hmm. It was like, we got, we got to find a cordon bleu. We got to find a cordon bleu. <laughs> so um, we jump in the boats. There, Well, I mean, there was a whole group of village weavers there. Like mm-hmm. it was a really good birding spot at that that location, but we wanted to get the shoe bill. So we jumped in the boats. Oh yeah, this, this was, we were single-minded mission right now. We needed to get the shoe bill. Um, so we kind of sped off through the, the papyrus, like it had like a trail that went through it that was a little narrow and then it split up into a wider like river or, yeah, you know, just a, big, a, a big wide open swamp. Yeah. <laughs> and just going through the swamp. Oh my gosh. We saw so many things. We had black crakes, we had lapwings, we had jacanas, um, just lots of stuff that was sitting on top of the lilies. It was yeah. Absolutely Malachite wonderful. kingfishers, oh, hide yeah. kingfishers, like long-tailed cormorants. Oh yeah, Ton, tons and tons of birds, and um, and the papyrus swamp itself is just fascinating because, as far as I can tell, all of the papyrus and then the undergrowth below it is literally just a floating mat of material mm-hmm. that, as we drive by, it kind of waves, and so it's like the whole swamp is mo- the whole ecosystem is moving up and down, and so. There's like no solid ground anywhere. I don't know how deep the water was. Maybe, yeah. maybe it was a thousand feet deep. I don't know, but <laughs> it was probably only like probably three not. feet. But <laughs> but it was just like it's just so everything is floating and there's no there's no solid anything. So it was it was really fascinating going through that. It's like oh over there is land, but no, that's not land. That's just a mat of vegetation floating on top of the water that's held together in place by the papyrus. <laughs> Um, so, you know, we, we probably sped through there for like 15, 20 minutes before we saw a boat on the side of the, like a little channel mm-hmm. and we got a little bit closer. They cut the engine and there was a shoe bill, the maybe a hundred feet away from the us. The very shoe bill we were looking for. Um, there was another couple boats that were out there already looking for it with photographers and I think local Ugandans too. I think um, so. It looks like one of the boats had local, local people on it. Yeah. Which was really cool. Uh, and so we, we got a little closer. The... 
the captain had to push us through the the vegetation mat like Eric was talking about yeah. to get there. Yeah, so we we they turn off the engines so as not scare the bird and then we just kind of like push our push our way a little bit closer. I think we we got up to like 200 feet away, 100 feet away, something like that. Um it was still a fairly good distance away. Um and all of us with the big giant telephoto lenses got nice close photos, but uh it's a big bird. Yeah. Like, it's it's huge. And um, it was just it was really impressive. I mean, just Looking at this bird, it really didn't pay us pay us much mind. Um, no, it didn't it, even care at all. Yeah, <laughs> it I just mean, like, it kind of gave us like side eye every once in a while. Yeah, and I guess just before we arrived, it had just eaten a lungfish, so it had it had just barely finished eating its breakfast by the, when we so we we missed that, but we got to see it flex its wings a little bit and then just kind of like wander around and just like stand there and. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but just such an incredible sight, you know, it didn't take long at all to go find it. I thought we were going to be like searching for like hours yeah, to go find this. I, th I think the entire day was devoted. Like that was, that was the plan for the day was find the shoe bill uh -huh. and then with whatever time is left in the day, get to the place we were staying that night. So we had no other plans to do anything else. The entire day was devoted to this, which it took us 15 minutes to find. So then we had more time to explore the the swamp a little bit and kind of look at what, what else the swamp has to offer, what other birds are around. Which I think my favorite was the widow tail, fantailed widow tail. Fantailed widow bird. Widow bird, sorry. <laughs> Which, I mean, is essentially like a red winged blackbird. Yeah. <laughs> so that that was really cool to see off in the distance. Um, we had our first cysticolas there, winding cysticolas, which, oh my gosh, we had so many different species of cysticolas and they all have these really goofy verb, no, Adjective. Yeah, so names? it's it's always it's always like an an ing adjective. So like winding, trilling, um, whistling, whistling. Like they're zitting, zitting. Like there's all these different ing cysticulas. So they're we we could we're having trouble trying to figure this out. Is it cysticula or cysticola? We might say both. We'll probably say both throughout this throughout the next two episodes. It's just different emphases on different syllables. Exactly, um, but. They're really interesting birds, kind of um, like a warbler, like a wren slash warbler thing that lives in uh, like every habitat that we went to had a cysticola that lived in it. So we're up in the tea farms. We had uh, chub cysticolas. We were down in the in the water. We'd have uh, the winding. trilling and the winding. So they're just kind of everywhere. Yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah, we we kind of made our way back, saw some more you know, like lily areas that would have like the, the crakes and everything mm -hmm. in it. Um, just absolutely gorgeous scenery. Uh, you know, that's, that's what it's like boating through a swamp. Yeah. And it's, and it's even, gorgeous. it's, it's really exciting cause you're there in a, in a canoe. So you've got four people just kind of experiencing the swamp together, just in the middle of nowhere. And, and like if when everyone, we're kind of going in like a caravan, the different, uh, boats, they split us up a little bit. As soon as they go around the corner, their boat and their noise from the boat engine would die off, and then we would, it would just be us alone in the swamp for a few minutes until we came around that corner too and saw them again. And so it was, it was really exciting, like just because we kind of spread out a little bit further as as we were traveling. So it was like your your own little private like seclusion in the middle of this uh, papyrus swamp. Yeah. So we got back to the the dock mm -hmm. and unloaded. And there was a hammer cop right there that yes. everybody got a ton of pictures of this hammer cop. Oh, yeah. I was, 
luckily that wasn't our first one so i wasn't like super like oh i gotta get photos i didn't realize it was, it was the first cool. one that's it why everybody was that, that's why everyone was so excited about it, oh, okay. it was the first one that they that they had for the trip yet okay so i i was super we had excited one fly over the day before yeah we had one fly over the day before so we we, we were it was still super exciting because i was another that was one of the species that was like kind of high on the list so i had uh that one was super high on the list and then uh the, the other one that was really high on the list was the Eurasian Hoopo, but we, we saw that in we, Dubai. We, we, we saw that in Dubai, so I that, I got that guy on my list. <laughs> I was super excited about that. And then the Hammer Cop was basically the ne- next highest one on my list for birds that I had heard of that I wanted to see. <laughs> um, so anyways, we checked out the Hammer Cop, and then there was uh, a bunch of bats that somebody noticed in the ranger station. That's one of the things about birding with this whole group is that everybody would find everything really interesting. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean... They well, would... I think it was the most annoying thing for Herbert, though. <laughs> Probably. Because so... every single thing we found, somebody was interested in it. And we would just, like, yeah, scour everything. Like, if you found a bug, Ted was your guy who was going to be interested in that bug. <laughs> Yeah. And yeah, if you saw bats, that was, Doug was super into bats. Yeah. And any yeah. anything flying, anything and anything alive, people were just like all about like I got to there there was a, there was a couple of times where we stopped for uh for some of the flowers that were on uh, the grasses. Yeah. And we were, we'd we'd stop and we'd be getting photos and everyone would be excited, we'd be talking about it. So it was it was very slow going everywhere we went. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyways, these ended up being uh, epauletted fruit bats. Epauletted fruit bats. 80 of them that were in a communal roost in the fee station. So that was super cool. And then we spent a little bit more time just kind of scouring the trees that were in that area. And I was super excited to find African green pigeons. Yes, those were so cool. They are just an absolutely beautiful bird. Um, With that stunning blue eye. And then amazing. we had some sunbirds that were kind of across the road. So mm-hmm. got a good look at red-chested sunbirds and scarlet-chested sunbirds. And more of the weavers that were up there, including a northern brown-throated weaver. So yes. we got our second weaver on that trip, um, which we... Oh man, I feel like we got like 50 different species of weaver, but I, it's probably like 10. So I counted it up before we started recording. We had uh, a total of 20 species of weavers on the, whole, on the trip as a whole. And then there was four more species that might be considered weavers, but don't have weaver in their name that I, I'm not, uh, I'm not positive if they count as weavers or not. So either 20 or 24 species or up to 24 species of weavers in a two week trip. So that's, that's pretty spectacular. It's a lot of weavers. So from there, um, we tried, there were a couple spots throughout the trip that we were going to try for Papyrus gonolek, which is a really pretty bird. I mean, about tanger size or it, so. It might be a weaver too. I don't know. <laughs> um, or it might be a cysticola. Who knows if a gonolek is a cysticola? It's probably neither. <laughs> um, so we, we stopped and tried for that in the papyrus swamps. Uh, we didn't try very long. You know, they played a call or two and then it didn't, nothing responded. So we got back on the bus and headed off. Yeah, so um, headed down the, the less than ideal roads, um, back to the highway, hopped on the highway, and started headed over to uh, Lake Umburo, which is where we were going to stay for the night. Um, we were, we were going to stay at this uh, tented cabin, or tented camp um, location, um, but headed down the highway. When you're on the highway, it's not, not so bad. They do, um, a number of years ago when they installed a lot of these paved roads, um, there was a whole bunch of, there was a rash of accidents real quick because people were able to drive faster. So um, what they've done is uh, the government installed, um, in some places the government did, in some places the communities did, installed um, speed bumps. And the speed bumps basically make the road seem, you have to travel the same speed as if it was the dirt road again because it would be like four 
and then a big big long whoop and then again so it and it's like every 500 meters so it, it makes sure that you stay driving nice and slow so even even on the big highway you're still driving pretty slow um but we made it all the way to the turnoff for lake umburo and saw something off the side of the road that piqued Hannah's interest. <laughs> it was our very first zebra. Yes, our very first zebras. There was a whole bunch of cows and then a, a couple zebras. Okay, so I feel stupid because when I was a kid, uh, there was a farm just like on the way to the town north of us mm-hmm. that had zebras. Like in their yep. in their area, you know, in their corral Cap- or whatever. zebras. Yeah, they would have like some horses and some zebras. And so like I kind of got used to like seeing that you know and so like when we saw these zebras with cows in the field <laughs> i was like oh it's captive zebras I, I i think you even said are are those are those um on a farm yeah <laughs> i think i think that's what you asked when we first saw them and then um i don't think herbert and mark saw it initially but then the rest of us are all talking about it like looking at these zebras and then we finally turned down the road and then that's when um, Herbert was like, oh, there's some zebras that were much closer. But we're like, yeah, we've been looking at those ones way off in the distance over there. Yeah. So anyways, they were wild zebras. Wild zebras are first African mammals, basically. Our best yeah. ones. Yeah, first best looks at African mammals up to then. <laughs> um, yeah, and so then we we took the road off to Montana Tented Camp and there, you know, we had to stop a couple times because there were so many cool things along the roadway, too. Uh, we had a lot of storks, the Abdens and Marabou storks, um, and then a couple things that weren't lifers, like cattle egrets and glossy yeah. ibises and barn swallows. Um, we had a wind chat that was just off the side of the highway. Yeah. And then um, some people saw a red cheek cordon bleu, but I didn't see that one. <laughs> <laughs> so there, there was... The red cheek cordon bleu started to become a nemesis. Yeah, Every single time somebody saw it, we missed it. And it just <laughs> kept on going just like that the whole time. Like, oh, red cheek cordon bleu, where, where, where? No, no, it's gone. It flew. It's like, oh, man. But the whole ride out to this tenant camp was just incredible. And part of it was through Lake Mabura uh, National Park. But we had zebras, we had warthogs, water bucks, impalas, elands, which are all, you know, those last couple are different species of antelopes. So Elan are a ginormous antelope, yeah, right? Giant, yeah. And you think they're the biggest one? I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure they're so one of the antelopes that we saw is the world's largest, and I'm pretty sure it's the Eland. Okay. And but they're, 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 we saw so many different antelope species. We did, and they're they're big. Um but some other really cool birds that we had were the helmeted guinea fowl. Yeah, that was exciting. Also <laughs> just running around. They're so they're they're so round. Well, they're, they're so pretty. They're too. so pretty. I mean, you you can take them for granted here in the states because um, they've been imported as um, as for food, I imagine. Um, but so there's some communities that have like these guinea fowl that kind of run around and they're they're exotic, so they're not they're not from here, but. When you go to where they're actually from, it's like, oh, they're they're cute. They're little legs, going, <laughs> blah, 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 and then their heads sticking out. And it's just it's just like this round ball that has legs. It's, they're silly looking. Um, we also had uh, along the road. We had a handful of fiscals, which are and there's different species of fiscals too, but they're like shrike. Well, yeah, they are shrike. They're a shrike, yeah. Uh, but for some reason, they have the name fiscal, which makes me think they're bankers. <laughs> <laughs> but we had they're fiscal a lot responsible. Yeah, we had a lot of those kind of like loggerhead shrikes, you know, on telephone poles and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, we just had so many different things, like <laughs> to to name them all off. Yeah, it's it's impossible to name everything. Like we've so we ha- we have a trip report and um, eBird trip report that has the whole um, 
the whole shebang of everything. Over 400 species seen from amongst everyone in the group. Uh, 85 checklists. Um, we're still populating it with all the photos and all the audio and video. So there's lots of stuff still left to add on there. But we'll, we'll include that in the show notes, um, the link to the trip report, so you can see what the whole shebang was. And then if you want to go through list by list, um, just click on that checklist and then it, organize it by checklist and then just start from the bottom and scroll up and you can see Follow along with us as we go. So we get to the the tenant camp. Um, just absolutely gorgeous. Uh, overlooks the lake. We we got there pretty late in the evening, so it was almost um, dusk. And they split us up into which rooms we were going into. Mm-hmm. Eric and I had porters carry all our stuff over to the room, which was very handy because we packed a little bit more than we should have. Yes, and we, did. <laughs> we got to the tent and. I mean, I have always wanted to stay at a place like this. I, I will. I got a good, really good picture, or quote unquote, really good picture of the outside of the tent, what yeah. it looks like from the outside, and it looks like you're in African safari, like in the '40s. Yeah. Like when you watch those movies, the old movies from uh, on, on the BBC and stuff like that, when they go, like when the queen goes down to to different parts of Africa, like in South Africa and stuff, and she goes on safari, like that's what they stayed in, like however, these tents. However, this was forested. Yeah, And so these were forested um, campsites. And so normally when I think of those, I think of just grass savanna That's true. around it. And, and for, we use the word forested loosely. It's, it is technically shrubby, forested, bushy. shrubby, bushy. It's, it's kind of, um, if you're familiar with South Texas, it's like the, thorn the, scrub. The, the thorn scrub, like the mesquites and all the acacias, like that's, that's what we were surrounded by, different acacia species. And they're only growing to like 15, maybe 20 feet tall. But And so they've got a cap on their height all around us. So they impressed upon us, um, and Herbert also did too, that animals can be everywhere. And they can hide really easily. Mm-hmm. And especially things like water buffaloes can be extremely dangerous. And so they wanted to make sure someone went with us back and forth to the tent. Yes. Um, so that was some in the evening, at least, when you know, it was when dark, it's dark out. Yeah. Um, so that was something that we wanted to impress upon you all as well. That if you go to Africa, there's animals anywhere, everywhere. You know, there's animals <laughs> everywhere, and they could potentially be dangerous. So you need to have your head on a swivel and be looking for things. Uh, so when we first got there, though, uh, we had a little. It was it wasn't a shrew. What is it? A dormouse. A dormouse. A bushy-tailed yeah. dormouse scurry out from underneath the bed. <laughs> um, and so this this tent had two beds in it. Um, so it was like a tent within a tent and then you walked through, (laughs) through the back of it and that was open air to inside a tent. (laughs) And then you walked into the toilet tent or the shower tent. Yeah. And to shower at this location, they didn't have running. There was no running water out at the tents. I was trying to think of how the bathroom worked or the, the toilet. Uh, but anyways, they would, they had these big troughs that they would fill with hot water when you mm-hmm. requested it. And then you would like pull a lever and hot water would come down and then, then you close, close that lever. Um, so then you can conserve the hot water. So that, that was a really cool system, yeah. <laughs> but I felt bad that the porters like had to carry it back and carry forth. the hot water back and forth. Yeah, yeah. They worked really hard. They did work really hard, but we get to dinner that night and we had a group dinner every single night. Well, group meals and everything. And, uh, there was a black-shouldered night jar just yeah, sitting on the ground that Mark, um, one of the guides, he found. Mm-hmm. And so we, we got that. We watched it fly a little bit, and that was that was a really cool bird that we got to see that night. Yeah, and then we ate one of the most delicious salads, quote-unquote salad, that uh, I think I've ever had. 
the avocado salad. It was literally a giant half of an avocado with a bunch of tomatoes. And, it was like pico de gallo inside. It was like pico de gallo inside an avocado. It was awesome. Yeah, it was delicious. It was amazing. My mouth's watering just thinking about it again. Okay, well, go get some avocados. Yeah, we'll go get an avocado salad. So um, that night, <laughs> the wind like really kicked up. And I thought there were, like, I legit at like two o'clock in the morning thought there were monkeys outside. <laughs> there was a warthog outside at one point. Yeah, snorting, there was. Yeah, snorting and walking around. There's probably a whole a whole flock of them. So I definitely love that. And there were water thick knees nesting in the um, tent space next to us. Yeah. So every time we walked back and forth to the lodge, the thick knees would would go <laughs> flying away. Yeah. 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 So um, and there was also. I heard when we were looking at the night jar, mm-hmm. there was a soul lion that lived oh, near yeah. there and it was male lion and he would roar at night. And, um, that the first night with the night jar, I heard mm-hmm. him roaring. Yeah. That was, really that cool. was, that was exciting. So that was, that was our first but he, big like, cat that we rarely heard. came into the yeah, they, tenant they, area. Yeah. They never, they never followed. They, they don't take trips out to go try to find him out there. They just let him do his thing, I guess. Yeah. Um, so first day, we got a good good night's sleep, rested, relaxed, woke except up refreshed, monkeys. except for the monkeys. Um, we headed out to go um, on our first, first uh, second boat ride. First boat ride um, in a big boat, but our second boat ride of the trip. Um, we had a whole specific objective of trying to find an African fin Well, first we started, we went to the ranger station oh, and yeah, we birded station, around yeah. the ranger station a little bit. We saw Diedrich's cuckoo. There were baboons that were running around, mm-hmm. uh, tropical boo-boos, and lots of woodpeckers and different things. But also, we did see a ranger with a, he had like a rifle. Yeah. Right? Like an old school rifle. Yeah, yeah. A big, it's like a, um, it's it's a rifle that's similar to an AK-47, but it's it's not. So it's, it's a large, um, single action uh, rifle. And that's something that you, that's pretty common that you see. Um, and it's not for people or anything like that. It's just in case of wildlife. Yeah. So, so all, basically all the Rangers, like it, it was like a 50, 50, some of the Rangers were guide Rangers mm-hmm. that did not have guns, but then most of the Rangers that were out there, they would have guns to defend themselves against, uh, animals that are going to come and get them but generally they just stay away from the animals and the animals stay away from them and it's all it's all good to go but that's just something to be aware of when you're there Um, you'll see lots of rifles yeah so that that was a really good stop and then we continued on to where the boat ramp was yeah so we we get down to the boat ramp Um, we can see some hippos out in the distance in the water and so we're thinking like oh oh look at that we get a bunch of pictures of hippos from like like 200 300 yards away and it's super cool and interesting and so then we we're like, okay, well, this boat ride is for the African finfoot, so we're we're excited. We're going to go looking for the African finfoot, um, which is a it's like a torrent duck. Um, it kind of almost has a coloration of a torrent duck too, except it lives in lakes. But it lives in lakes. It doesn't it doesn't live in rushing water. It lives in flat water. Um, but so we hop on the boat. Um, we kind of go around and we see kingfisher and pied kingfisher and pied kingfisher so so we put ted floyd um we we, we assigned him to a kingfisher counter yeah so he's he's counting the kingfishers um while we're we're all scanning for everything else um tons of african fish eagles we had a couple nile crocodiles then we had probably to me the most memorable hippo experience possibly the most memorable mammal experience that i'll ever have in my entire life of we came around a corner and there was a group of hippos there were some babies there were some adults and as we kind of, we kind of motored past them, and the one of the hippos, um, I'm assuming it was one of the males, yeah, um, kind of didn't like when we so we we 
it, it didn't seem to bother him when we went went by him, but then when we turned, they turned the, the motor up a little bit, so I guess the motor got louder, and it kind of made the hippo mad. So it started porpoising right at us. I um, It was like the most incredible thing it I've was ever seen. Amazing. Like we were in a large boat. Um, so it, it may have done some damage to the boat, but it probably wouldn't have sank us. Um, but who knows? It could have probably sank no, us. No, it would not have sank us. It might have sank us. Oh my gosh. It's a large hippo. It's um, an elephant. Yeah. It was almost as big as an elephant. He's huge. Oh, it was coming right at us. Stop. Um, but he's he was porpoising at us. It was and then, this big. I don't know. It's like a fish. It just gets bigger and bigger with the retelling of the story. <laughs> it was the world's largest hippo. world's largest hippo. Um, but, um, I'll, I'll see if I can get the video posted because I took a video of it too. I just happened to be filming it. Um, I have to cut the audio because there was definitely some profanity, um, said by... Not on my part not, either. Yeah, not on me. Yeah. It was, it was other uh, participants with us. Um, it was hilarious. Yes. It was, it was an awesome experience. This hippo coming, coming towards us. Um, it, it only porpoised like three or four times and then it's like, okay, you've, you've gone far enough. You're good. Yeah. And then it, it scared it, us off. And then it turned around and went back to what it was doing. Uh, yeah, so that was exciting. And then, geez, just tons of African fish eagles. We had a, um, we had a, uh, water buffalo coming out of the water that had ox peckers on it. So that we, yeah. those were our first ox peckers. Mm-hmm. Um, we had the fin foot, a couple looks at the fin foot and to find those you, so this was a double decker boat and I was on the top most of the time because it was pleasant up there and easier to see things. Um, but on the edge of the water is where you have to be to see the fin foot because they hang up so close to the the shoreline and they're just underneath like almost basically like mangroves. Um, so you just really have to be paying attention. Yeah. You have and, to like look deep into what's there. Yeah. Cause, and, cause they're, they're, they're kind of skittish and kind of, uh, not, uh, not excited to hang out with people. We also saw an osprey fly over, yeah. which was like, what? Yeah, <laughs> Even though I know osprey are over there. It just seemed it was, unusual. It was my osprey on a, a fifth continent. Yeah. So now I've seen them on uh, five continents. Have you? Yeah. Is that so? Yeah, I think saw them in Asia, saw them in Europe, saw them in North America, South America, and now this is Africa. I don't remember seeing them in Asia. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think, I'm pretty sure we saw them when we were in Singapore. But so anyways, <laughs> we uh, got back after having seen so many cool things. Ted Floyd had counted 84 pied kingfishers. So many kingfishers. Uh, exact count. And they were <laughs> everywhere. Um, but you know, even back at the shoreline, it was great with the lesser striped swallows, um, with saw wings. It, it was a really great trip. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, um, we, from there we head back to, um, Montana tented cabin, tented camp for a late lunch, um, for a late lunch, which was, I think it was, that was the day we got a really, really late lunch. I and, think so too. And they were kind of uh, like, Oh, are you, are you coming back? They're <laughs> tapping their foot waiting for us. Um, but we uh, after lunch we went out for a um, what was gonna transition into a night drive, but uh, started off as an afternoon uh, afternoon trip out into this uh, in, into the savanna basically into this uh, treed savanna, and we found this like this little pocket of habitat that was just spectacular. Um, tons and tons of green green wood hoopos. Um, crested barbets. Um, we had a pearl spotted owlet that was, um, I don't know, it wasn't calling, but somebody spotted it in a tree and, and I got some photos of it. And then my last photo, I never saw it fly, but my last photos of it flying away. Like I, it was really hard to see this thing in the trees. And so I was just snapping photos. And then one of the photos, it was gone. Like I saw its butt flying away after I was editing the photos. Lots of woodpeckers too in that area. Um, doves, cuckoos. 
it was not a very big area at all, but there was a lot to see. Oh, yeah. Um, and then, you know, we were just kind of driving along and had kettles of Abdon storks and streaming vultures and hawks. It was a pretty magical afternoon. Yeah. And then to top, top that all off, we uh, came around the corner and there was giraffes. Like 12. Like tons of, of Gi- Rothschild giraffes. Ginormous giraffes. Huge giraffes. Little giraffes, which <laughs> a, a, a little giraffe is still a big animal, but... Um, they were just all, we, we came around the corner, they were all around the bus, and then uh, they kind of moved away from the bus, so then uh, um, Herbert was like, okay, we, we can get out as long as we stay against the bus um, to get photos of these guys, and then as soon as we get out, they kind of start wandering around, and it was just but like, it, it was oh really magical, gosh. because it, it was, was amazing. right about sunset, so we were watching the sunset with the giraffes. Yeah, the sunset with the giraffes, it was it, it was, was spectacular. It was quiet. You know, we felt like we were in the middle of nowhere with these these amazing animals. It, it, it felt like we were having like a um, like a National Geographic moment or just like like totally. a like a, a moment that you just like you, you read about online or you watch. You grow, grow up as a child like watching like, oh, I'd love to see that. Like uh, that, that's I, what that moment was. I don't even feel like I could ever impress upon somebody how amazing it was. Yeah. Is part of the problem. Yeah, that, that is part of the problem. I mean, like, we have pictures, but... Pictures I, only do so much. I exactly. mean, like, the looks on our faces, like, it, it was just like... There we, were people crying. I'm not going to name names, but there was crying. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, it was it was awesome. So then we... Have, it was, when it was getting dark to the point where it was like, all right, there's going to be some carnivores coming out. Let's... Uh, Let's let's get inside the van and or get back inside the bus and we'll we'll do some driving before we head back to the lodge. So we start heading back um, and probably within five minutes of Herbert saying we need to keep our eyes open for cats, we had our first cat. We had a leopard that was uh, it was it was just kind of walking, minding its own business, probably a quarter mile away from where we were with the with the giraffes. But we're we're we kind of shined our, our spotlights out and boom right there, and it just walked away just minding its own business and we weren't able to refine refine it or anything but it just took off so it was it was just another moment of impressing upon us that these wild animals can be anywhere out there they can you if your guide says to do something if you follow what your guide says to do but it was. It, it, it was an awesome experience. Had, mm-hmm. We got back for a late dinner. Uh, I think it was like nine o'clock. <laughs> we got back for dinner and uh, ate our dinner and just like went right to bed. I forgot to charge my camera. I forgot to download all the photos. <laughs> so in the next morning was a lot of like, oh, I got to hurry up and do this. So the next day um, we were headed off to the next place to go. Yes. Uh, and as we were driving along, uh, we had a fan belt break. And this is where Alex, the man who could fix anything, um, sprang into action. Yeah. So they like he did a fantastic job. Herbert did a great job of directing everything where we're going to go, what, what we're going to do. Alex did a great job of making sure what Herbert says is going to happen happens. So we had a fan belt break. Um, the he was like, oh, he pulled over to make sure that's what happened. That is what happened. So then we drove for like another twenty minutes um, to where we could actually do some birding. They got us, they, he got us to a place where we could bird for a while. We spent about an hour birding. Spent, oh, yeah. Bir- birding in this, like, um, area. We had our lunch. It was, it, w- it was a great experience. And then right at the end, 
the it started to rain and the guy delivered the fan belt alex put the fan belt back together and we were <laughs> able to get on the road so and you know it's it's silly because like you said we were there for about two hours two hours okay and uh we had 46 species <laughs> yeah. while we were just standing on the side of the road with like, there was a farm field. Yeah. And there, there was, I think two or three of those species. We didn't have anywhere else. Yeah. Like, probably we, w- one of the babblers that we had there, we didn't have anywhere else. And then, uh, I'm trying to think there was something else there. I think that we only had there, but, um, ton, we had really Quali- good. Quilia. Quilia. Yeah. Maybe. Um, but, Tons and tons of birds, tons of, and it was just like this random place on the side of the road that there was some millet on one side of the road, there was some corn, there was some, uh, like an abandoned house of some sort, and yeah. we, we were just there, like birding and waiting, and had our box lunch and moved on. So let's talk about food for a minute. Oh yeah. So food, yeah. you mentioned the avocado pico de gallo salad mm-hmm. that was fantastic. Um, I don't eat fish is one of my things or seafood at all. And, you know, I kind of felt silly about saying it. Like when we got to the first lodge, they were like, does anybody have any allergies or food they don't eat? And like, nobody was saying anything. So I was like, I don't eat fish. (laughs) And I'm so glad I said that because the dinner that night was tilapia. Yeah. Um, so I did mention it every single lodge because fish is a pretty common thing. That tilapia, like specifically tilapia is very common to eat over there. That's a very, that's like the number one meat that people eat, I think. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. So make sure to mention that, but the food is pretty simple. Yeah. Um, so like you said, there's a lot of like tilapia. You might, we've had some curry there. Um, but every meal pretty much comes with potatoes mm-hmm. and fruit or, a, you know, soup or something like yeah, that. Yeah, some, some sort of soup that was like some like cream pumpkin. Yeah, like a, a creamy soup of sorts. Um, pumpkin or um, sweet potato or stuff like that. Um, potatoes were big. So there was some, some rice. Um some rice stuff, and then either a chicken or a fish, or there was. Um, I did have pork one. There was when pepper there was steak. Tilapia. Pe- yeah. Pepper steak was pretty pretty common option. The, the breakfasts are usually a couple eggs. Um, there's this thing that they have called a Rolex, which is basically like, um, like kind of an omelet on top of a piece of chapati, which is like a tortilla. Yeah. Um, that's rolled up. And so that was a popular choice for breakfast, but they also usually had like a sausage and, uh, some bread mm-hmm. and, and uh, because Uganda fruit. was a protectorate of the UK, mm-hmm. almost a, a colony, but not quite. Um, there was things like a Weetabix, yeah. a British, uh, breakfast that's uh, pretty common as breakfast cereal. It's kind of like a cream of wheat or like shredded wheat mm-hmm. and it kind of melts into like a porridge consistency. Either hot milk or cold milk goes with it. Either way, it's good. So um, when we're broken down by the side of the road, we had our box lunch there, and that's usually what we did for lunches. We did have most days, yeah. We did have a couple sit down lunches, um, but usually we got a box lunch, which included a sandwich of our choice, and usually it was like cheese and tomato were options, peanut butter and jelly, um, omelet sandwiches. Uh, cheese sandwiches. Yeah. There was a turkey or a chicken sandwich, I think, one time. I think they also had tuna. Tuna, yeah. Tuna was a sandwich. Yeah, so we usually had a sandwich. We had a juice box, which was usually like mango, a hard-boiled egg, and then a piece of, uh, like, grilled chicken. Yeah, which the grilled chicken seemed very, very popular as a uh, addition to, like, pretty much every single meal had, like, a piece of grilled chicken or a piece of 
Like cooked chicken. Yeah. Like barbecued chicken. Yeah. Um, so anyways, that's what that was. And then we got Alex fixed the van, the bus, and we headed off to Buindi, which was the really cool place that I was so excited to stay at. Yes. Called Ride for a Woman. Yes. And I, I feel like this episode's going to go a little bit long, um, but we really need to talk about Ride for a Woman and our experience in Buindi. Otherwise... Yeah. And, and we need to do them justice. We, we, we can't short these. So so Ride for a Woman Lodge. Um, Listen to my episode. Yes. If you were a skipper, you you skipped that we talked about my episode. Uh, <laughs> if you're a skipper. <laughs> <laughs> Women Birders Happy Hour. I interviewed the founder of Ride for a Woman, but it's a nonprofit organization that started to help the women of the Bawindi and the mm-hmm. surrounding tribes. Um, who were, you know, who have HIV, are widowed, are domestic abuse victims, Mm -hmm. um, lots of different types of issues that these women face that the founder wanted to try to help them. And so she started this nonprofit that she's given them job skills and it started off with renting bicycles. Yeah. Um, It it turned out people, people that were visiting didn't really want to rent bikes that much. So then she had to kind of shift gears, um, as you could say, to... To more of a lodge style accommodations that she started, she started and she just like built more and more and more to the point where she has guest rooms. She has an area that the locals um, can come and get fresh water out mm-hmm. of um, a biosand filter that she's uh, she's built and and purchased and and use donations to be able to supply and continue providing water for these people. And she also teaches women job skills. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them is quilting that she didn't know anything about quilting. And somebody, I believe an Australian lady, mm-hmm. came and taught them how to quilt and, you know, created these job skills that they have create, you know, have, they create quilted materials. Like we, we bought a bunch of it. We bought so much. Um, and also <laughs> they weave like baskets and coasters and things like that. So it's very exciting, all the cool things um, that's happening at that location. And, you know, it's cool to think that by staying there, by purchasing things you're helping these women in this community yeah and at, at the lodge it's, it's honestly a little bit expensive to, to stay there it's really nice lodge but it's a really nice lodge and good food good food and literally 50 percent of your total cost for your stay goes directly into the community as um paying paying the women that are working there paying uh for um like materials and helping with that sand filter and buying jerry cans and just all, all of these things that support the community. So like the, the way I was looking at it is, okay, if you're staying there, it's, I can't remember how much it was per night. It, it was a little pricey, but it's essentially half of that is your cost to stay in the room. The other half is a donation to these, to this um, nonprofit organization. So I thought it, it was a, a awesome, awesome, awesome place to stay. And comfortable, and the Wi-Fi was nice, and, and they had electricity, and <laughs> all, all the stuff you want out of a lodge. And it's the place to stay if you want to go see the gorillas. Yes. Um, so, Bawindi Impenetrable Forest is one of the few places that you can go see mountain gorillas. Yes, it's the best place in Uganda to find them, and it's probably the second best place in the world, next second only to Rwanda, to get a close encounter with uh, mountain gorillas. Mm-hmm. So, let's... Let's get into that. So the next gorillas. day, um, we went to go see the mountain gorillas. And it is a bit of a trek. It is hard um, to go do that. They don't so, call them mountain gorillas for nothing. So <laughs> we got to the ranger station. They did an intro um, about, you know, what it's like to go see the mountain gorillas and the rules of seeing them because, you know, it's a controlled environment that mm-hmm. they want to keep for these species. So um, they wanted to impress upon that uh, 
that to us. Um, but we also had the opportunity to watch the Ride for a Woman dancing team mm-hmm. um, come out, and they did a couple of cultural dances for us. Yeah, so they, they spent, it was probably 20, maybe 25 minutes of, they would explain where this dance comes from, um, who in the country, what part of the country did it, and why they why they did this dance. Then they would perform the dance for us and invite us to join, and then they would, when, when that song would end, they would introduce the next dance. So it was it was very educational, and then like Hannah said, the um, the ranger then, after, after they went through all of that, explained to us how gorillas are so closely related to us and not even a COVID thing, but we need to wear masks just because any, if we, if we have the cold, if we have anything, we can transmit it to the gorillas. Mm -hmm. So we need to wear masks to protect the gorillas from us. Um, we, they explained our minimum distances that we, that we're allowed to be from them or yeah, minimum distances that we're allowed to be from them and how we're supposed to act and impressed upon us again. Like these are wild animals and do everything your ranger says. Mm Mm-hmm. So um, they split us up into groups because there was only eight people that could visit it each, each in a group. Yeah. Um, and they had a handful of different uh, gorilla tribes. Yeah, there, there's like, like I think there's like 10 different families of gorillas that live within the national forest there. And so it's, they don't send like multiple groups out to a single family. Mm-hmm. It's one they, they can only get visited once a day maximum. Yeah, and so each gorilla family is visited for 50 minutes at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, so our group, which was Eric, myself, Peter, Don, and Molly, and Jimmy, mm-hmm. we all went to the group that was on the far side of the park. And so we actually had to do a 45-minute drive out and around the park yeah. to go to the, the trailhead. So once we got out to the trailhead, we met our porters, mm-hmm. who um, were local Ugandans uh, that live in that tr- that community. That uh, they make money based on tourists coming and seeing the gorillas. And so prior to that, they might have you know. One, one of my my porter was a tea farmer. Okay. His uh, he, he be, before he they were allowing the reintegration of the forest into the tea, tea area of from his family's uh, tea farm. Mm-hmm. He farmed tea on those little tea bushes that are all around that we kind of wandering through. He, he, that's what he did growing up and then transitioned to being a porter where he would make just as much money, if not more, being a porter as he did selling, selling tea, farming tea. So he just kind of transitioned into that. He, he was an older gentleman, but and so it's really cool with the the gorillas because to get a permit to go see them, it's about nine hundred dollars a person. Mm-hmm. So which it's, is like half of what it is in Rwanda, but yeah, but it's it's a pretty steep you know amount, and that also goes towards protecting the, the gorillas and mm-hmm. towards supporting these communities because you know if they didn't have this kind of support, and I've actually read articles about how COVID like caused the community like decline to decline because they didn't have the tourists coming in and so it was kind of backtracking the whole progress that's been made yeah but um the tourism is just it's really important to this area because like they have people like us coming in spending nine hundred dollars to go see gorillas and then that supports the community and you know shows the value of the gorillas to the local ugandans so they aren't you know going out for bush meat and they aren't cutting down trees for firewood, uh, but they have the ability to have money to, you know, buy the things that they need. Exactly. So then it's it's just kind of like a double-edged, like it's, it's two, two different sides fi- helping towards conservation for the species, showing the community that there's money to be had by having these animals here, and then 
they then want to protect the animals, mm-hmm. so then they'll not destroy the habitat that the animal lives in. So it's, and then it, it, it not only helps the gorillas, but it helps the hundreds and or thousands of other species of insects and plants and birds and everything that are living in that area that would have otherwise been demolished because tea is the most profitable thing next to conservation tourism. Yeah. Um, so we each got our porter. They carried our stuff. It was a pretty steep hike to get there. Yeah. I think we hiked maybe a mile or so to get to like the national park itself. Mm-hmm. Is that right? It says so- four and a half kilometers was the trip four and a half kilometers and yeah. i think he only did it from out when he was coming back he didn't track it on the way in i don't think okay well i don't know how to <laughs> yeah so so that's that's like a mile and a half and okay then... so a mile and a half to get to it mm-hmm. um part of it was you know walking through, the, through this community and then the rest of it was basically like hiking up a logging road except the logging road was a, like a tea farm road yeah um, it's just like straight up yeah mm-hmm. And then we got to the point where we were going to access the national park, and that was straight up through this tea <laughs> farm. Yes. And the porters were great. I had uh, my porter, Caleb, was holding my hand, pulling me up the hill, and then there was another guy behind me pushing me <laughs> up the hill. I'm really glad that none of you guys were looking because I felt like very uh, old woman <laughs> being pushed up the hill by these guys. And I kept, I had to stop once in a while, you know, and they were like, fine. And they were like, oh, do you need to stop? It's like, you guys are doing all the work, but yes, I need to stop. <laughs> so, um, yes, I, I tipped them very well <laughs> for their efforts. Yeah. Yeah, so we, we made it all the way to the top of the hill just to turn around and head right back down the other side of the hill. I know, it was like this ridge line. Yeah. Just um, build a tunnel, guys. And literally, we, we went down the hill and ended up in a um, in a valley, an open valley. And there was that, a gorilla. There they were. Boom. Yeah, gorillas. right there. Yeah, one gorilla. Well, uh, the silverback. Gorilla. Yeah, the silverback was just sitting there watching us from, from across on the other side of the valley. Yeah, and so we, they, we were leaving the porters there, and they mm-hmm. were like, okay, you got to put your masks on now, no food, no water. And we just you can kinda, bring your cameras and binoculars. That's all you can bring with you. We just sat there. You know, we were maybe a hundred feet away from that gorilla. Probably something like that. And we just sat there and watched it for a good 10, 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then the, the uh, ranger was like, okay, let's get closer. <laughs> and I was like, what? We're getting closer. I have a telephoto lens. I don't need to get closer. I'm yeah. <laughs> so, um... We spent about 50 minutes with these gorillas. Uh, the, the kids rolling down the hill towards us. The, um, the, the, rest of the, the, the rest of the troop just like kind of coming out of the forest down the hill towards us. We kind of wor- worked our way around to the side of them. They, we then, they went down the hill past us. We followed them down the hill. And it was just like this pretty, pretty awesome experience of these gorillas that are as big as us, bigger than us don't don't even care slash notice they like they obviously see us and they're they're doing their thing but they don't care that we're hanging around because these animals have been habituated to people um for generations where which i actually i did a lot of research yeah. into this because i was really curious about the conservation tourism and the like ethics of you know visiting mm-hmm. mountain gorillas because I'm a nerd and I love tourism. Um, and so I, I researched this a lot. And there is this whole thing about habituation with the, the mountain gorillas. And there's um, unhabituated families that, you know, they they give the, the mountain gorilla space that if they don't want to be visited by people, mm-hmm. then, you know, they, they take into consideration, like, their attitudes and reactions towards people. So 
that's something that's it's very well monitored. Yeah, so there's um, we, we had a bunch of discussions among the group um, that evening and then over the next couple of days. And then definitely Hannah spent probably pretty much all the time we had internet, anytime we had internet, <laughs> look, looking up uh, different research papers on habituation of gorillas and habituation of large mammals, um, large primates um, to humans and what the benefits and the cons and, and just everything there is about what that what what it is and and on on the whole we we feel good about uh our experience um but it's it's just it's a it's a touchy subject um habituation of primates especially larger primates like uh the chimpanzees and the like the great apes um the chimpanzees the gorillas the um, The bonobos the really smart animals so anyways yeah I, i mean i had some moral qualms about visiting them um it did say that we were supposed to stay about 21 feet away from mm-hmm. any gorilla any given time um however that was kind of hard to do because sometimes they they're walk just, closer to you yeah they're just moving around all over the place um but you know i i would have felt comfortable sitting on the hillside 100 feet away watching them so anyways i realized i was sitting in stinging nettles mm-hmm. and i thought i was getting bit by ants and then i realized <laughs> they were nettles and i was like okay okay <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. I can handle that. Um, so yeah, we watch them for about 50 minutes. You know, the the wind would blow one way and you'd smell them, which is kind of a B.O. rhubarb smell. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it was fun to watch the little babies play. And there was something that actually happened that the ranger said never happens. And it's that two groups met while we were standing there. Yeah. So usually I, I feel like you always have to take with a grain of salt when the ranger says, Oh, this never happens. <laughs> but I honestly think this is something that probably doesn't happen that often. Yeah. Um, is the two different family groups, which, um, your, your permit is to go visit one family and you, you go visit the family for 50 minutes and then you leave. Mm-hmm. But, uh, while we were there, a second family that's, uh, very closely related to the family group that we were with, they came down the two, the two groups interacted and then split and went off their separate ways. Yeah. And that was about the time the 50 minutes was up and it was time for us to go. So it was like, we, we got the experience of two different families all for the price of one, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, so afterwards we climbed back up to the, the ridge top mm-hmm. and ate our lunch there. Which was the same lunch as the, the other box lunch that we had. It was yeah. a hard boiled egg, chicken, a sandwich, and some fruit. And then we headed back down through the T um, to get to the the main logging road, and that's where we started really birding, and that birding was fantastic on the way back. We had yeah. about twenty six species, but you know there was mouse birds, there was uh, cinnamon chested bee eaters hopping around, tinker birds, shrikes, the streaked seed eater. We had uh, um, uh, bishop. We had uh, yellow the, bishop. The yellow bishop. That's like all black, so it's kind of odd. But um, lots of lots of birds that were really good, and our porters were excited about showing us the birds. Our, yeah. our guide was excited to show us the birds. Um, they, they were, the porters and the guide weren't necessarily bird guides, but they were guides, so they would they could tell us stuff. Oh, look at that! Look at this! Look at that! That looks different, like that sort of thing. But um, we didn't even mention about um, the bagel effect, the bagel fish. The bag of fish? Yeah. Um, weaver <laughs> species that it has like a German name. It's like Beglefect. Yeah. But it looks, we were just calling it bag of fish. Uh, yeah. We, it was, it was hard to say Beglefect. So <laughs> yeah. it was like, okay, well it's, it's the bag of fish uh, weaver. Um, so anyways, we, we hiked the mile and a half back to the, the start, um, in our bus mm-hmm. and it started raining when we were just on the way back to the community, but we stopped and did a um, ceremony where they gave us certificates for going out and seeing the gorillas. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we thanked our porters. Um, ours were just super nice guys. 
and, you know, traded information. We've had a couple emails from them since that, you know, thanked us for coming out. And it's, it feels really good to know that we were able to help their community. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. you know, we saw a cool animal out of it. Yeah, we, we got an experience of at the time and then some memories and then we got to help somebody like be able to put food on their table by contributing to their to the economy of the town mm-hmm. or the, of the village. So that was that, that felt good. Yeah. Um, so we uh, went back and it was basically like, all right, well, so like that, that was that was basically the end of that day. We uh, we were exhausted. We went and back and recovered. We went back and recovered. Uh, we, we had uh, had some beer. Had some some relaxing time. Um, uploaded photos to the internet. Um, uploaded them to our computers. We just kind of like sat around, tra- traded stories because because we split up into two different groups. So we just spent the rest of the evening, afternoon, and evening trading stories about what what we what we saw that day and how how much of a great time it was and the experience. And like I said, we talked about the the ethic and um, the morality of of doing this. So it was it was a really nice uh, like. Way to really process. Yeah, Socrates what Cafe happened. situation of, <laughs> of of what the experience that we had all had it was more together of a slash separate. The salon, yeah, yeah. It, it, it was like the, the experience that we all t- separately had together. So after after a good night's sleep, um, resting off, relaxing our legs, um, we got up the next morning to go birding. Basically, at the the entrance to Buendi, we drove up the hill, ten minutes up the road. Yeah, um, it was really close. Re- really close, and had. A, a great morning to start off with um at right at sunrise um petits um petites petits uh cuckoo shrike um tons and tons of just birds woodpeckers and malimbe and just bee eaters bee eaters just like i i could just i could just say words <laughs> and they would just be birds that we saw that day we we had uh, so many species that was the the biggest um, variety of species that we had in the shortest amount of time. I think your favorite was probably the African paradise flycatcher. Oh yeah, that was uh, that, that was another. That's another one. So I, I, at the beginning of this, I was talking about the birds that I had heard of that I wanted to see, and that was w- one of the ones on the list because it's it reminds me so much. Um, it's not nearly as colorful, but it's like so flowy and just like has big long impressive big, tail. Big long impressive tail, just just like the resplendent quetzal, just like this big long like woo, like it's ethereal the way it moves through the trees, like. That's that's another one that was high on the target list, the African paradise flycatcher. Yeah, so um, yeah, seventy three species on that list. Uh, we spent about four hours or so, just only a mile, and yeah. we we finished it off on the way back to the bus. We saw gorillas. Yeah, we saw gorillas again. Yeah, they they uh, they were. We didn't get a great look at them. They were pretty far away, like at the end of the road. Um, but they were just crossing the road with a um, followed in tow by the group that had paid that day to go follow that. Them. It was like, why did we spend three hour, <laughs> three miles hiking? Yeah, why, from... why did we hike so far when they're right here at the entrance road? So the couple <laughs> that went out to go see them, though, we met them back at um, Ride for a Woman for lunch, and they were from Grants Pass, Oregon. Oh yeah, yeah, that was <laughs> that was interesting. And then um, uh, the the people that were the wait the waiter that was coming around getting our coffee orders and stuff, uh-huh. he was just so surprised. He's like, oh, someone else from Oregon. <laughs> Um, you know, we're just everywhere, Oregonians. Apparently. Uh, so we had lunch and then we went back out birding pretty much the same place right at the Bowindi, um, impenetrable forest, like the main entrance road there, yeah. uh, walked, you know, just walked that half mile or so mm-hmm. and ended up with, you know, a lot more stuff too. Yeah. We I ended mean, up with another 47 species Yeah, and probably 20 or so of those were new for the day. So we're, we're, we're approaching a hundred species for the day and just within a one mile stretch of road. 
so. rainbows and sunbirds and weavers and negritas and just on and on and on. There's just so many birds to see there. But probably the most impressive part <laughs> was um, right before we got on the bus, there was a group of um, baboons mm-hmm. that came into the parking lot. Like I went down to use the bathroom and came back and the group of baboons was there. So we were kind of sitting there watching them and they just do some of the funniest things. They're, they're, they're very human-like too. They're, yeah, they're, they may not be great apes, but they're they're very human like. Um, the bus driver had to go around and shut all the windows in the bus so they didn't get inside <laughs> and, and ruin everything. Uh, but that was just yeah, it's just so different, you know, being there and seeing you know baboons and gorillas and giraffes. And there was and like a, a red a red colobus monkeys were up in the top of the trees. Oh, which are gorgeous, super gorgeous, big long tails, like. They're just like so much, so much wildlife. Like we, we think of going to like South, South and Central America, like as from, from the United States, like that's where you go, you see tropical stuff and you see amazing things, but you can fly to Uganda and you see a similar diversity of stuff, but they're completely different than what you see. So if you've been to Costa Rica, if you've been to South America, Panama, um, Ecuador, all, all these places that Americans usually go, like you can go to uganda and start the experience all over again mm-hmm. like this is completely different things but similar like so you, you get like all the wonder and awe of like this is my first time seeing this sort of crazy weird thing but it's you've, you've already seen a crazy weird thing before this is a whole different new crazy weird thing so it's super super exciting great yeah and great it, was, experience. it was really exciting uh that day we went burning with a Apathia and Matthew mm-hmm. and Apathia was part she's part of the Uganda Women Birder Club oh, yeah. so I was really excited to meet her and go birding with her um, so that was really fun and we kind of finished off our our time of windy there yeah it was it was a great stay um, rough roads again yeah <laughs> in, in, in and out the roads were roads are rough but uh, but we made it um, totally worth it totally totally worth um, it from there we headed to Queen Elizabeth National Park which we'll talk about in our next episode uh, but we you know got to Ngazi Lodge and like saw our very first elephant which was about five miles away yeah, yeah <laughs> with a scope and Ngazi Lodge is up on a hill so you can kind of see a long ways across the savanna out there and with a scope we were able to see elephants right from the lodge to start with so it was an awesome awesome way to end slash begin the next phase of the trip um, and end one phase enter the next phase of the trip and um, if you want to hear about Queen Elizabeth and our next bits of it you'll have to wait another two weeks and we'll we'll talk all about that then but um, till then I hope you guys enjoyed our podcast um, and I hope you have a good uh, new year yeah yeah have a great new year it's make a uh, good make a good bird resolution and also make sure to sit up and wait for the your eBird list to, turn to over. roll over yeah it's, it's East Coast time, so it might roll over a little earlier than you expect. Okay. Yeah, who knows? Well. <laughs> so thank you all for listening to our podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and maybe learned something. You can rate and review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Music, and anywhere else you listen to us. If you'd like to connect with us on socials, you can do so by following us at Hannah Goes Birding and Eric Goes Birding on Instagram. Our Facebook page is Hannah and Eric Go Birding. Our Twitter is at We Go Birding. Our TikTok is Hannah and Eric Go Birding. Or you can email us at Hannah and Eric Go Birding at gmail.com. You can also check out our website, which is www.gobirdingpodcast.com. You can tell us what you think and help share the love of birding with your friends.